And particularly in verse 12, he's given us gifted people, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and such. He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Christian life really is, it's about maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. That, if you can boil it all down, that's what it's about. And it should be the goal for each one of us. Having said that, I, I want to just, just simply by a show of hands, how many people, how many people want to grow and be more like Jesus? Good. Where is one of the best places to do something like that? Where? I'm hearing different answers here. How long have I been with you? <laughs> I'm going to suggest the only place you're going, to, you're going to grow and be mature is in a perfect mini church. <laughs> is there such a thing? No, there is not. They're all very imperfect, and so isn't the church, and that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. We've been talking about spiritual growth. We've been talking about maturing. We've been talking about those qualities and characteristics that really do speak to maturity and growth. We've been talking about the, the, the practices, the essential practices necessary if, in fact, we are to grow. And those practices are, are best apprised and best utilized in the context of a small group of people who are serious about growth. We're going to take off the mask, right? We're going to find ourselves getting on a scale. We're going to find ourselves uh, following the roadmap. We're going to find ourselves looking in the mirror, learning what it means to truly embrace each other. These are essential elements of, of life as Christians that we do together. Now, having said all that, wittingly or unwittingly, uh, many, many Christians today fit into the category of what I describe as church shoppers and church hoppers. And it's a tragedy <clears throat> because they're hopping from church to church, shopping for the perfect church or the perfect pastor or the perfect ministry environment or, or, or some such thing like that, that will meet their needs. And that's the key idea, that will meet their needs. The question really for all of us is, should you move on if your church isn't meeting your needs? That's our question. Well, let me, let me sh walk you through a short little quiz. You've got it in your notes, and just walk through it with me. These, these statements, if you've ever said them or thought them about uh, a church that you've attended, uh, they're common for most people. And if you've said it or you, said, or you thought it, just put a check mark in that little, next to that little statement. First one, this church just isn't meeting my needs, my spouse's needs, or my children's needs. If you've thought that or said that at some point, then put a check mark there. I have no friends at this church. If that's true, then put a check mark. I wish this church would emphasize, and then of course you fill in the blank. I'm not being spiritually fed here. 
I don't agree with the church's decision to, and that's a blank you can fill in. Lots of people have issues and they wish the church would do this or not do that. The youth program, the children's church program, is not meeting my child's needs. I don't think the church's music fits my style or my, or my tastes. I wish I didn't have to deal with a particular person every time I come to church. There's no special program or group for me or my spouse or my child. Now, if you've checked one or more of those statements, please keep listening. <laughs> what I have to say might help you. Do we, believe, do we believe that we live today in a consumer-oriented society? This has a huge bearing on our life as Christians. It's not hard to look at a church the same as a simple commodity. If it doesn't meet my needs or my expectations, change brands. How many of us have changed brands on something? We, we grow tired of it. We didn't like it. It didn't meet my needs, my expectations. So I change brands. And, and far too many Christians do the same thing today with respect to church. Church variety today is at an all-time high. You can find a church that will supply any and every need imaginable. Some churches are extremely creative in things that they provide. Um, if you're looking for a certain theological perspective, you can find that. If you're looking for a certain social perspective or familial perspective or community perspective, you can find those things. Maybe you like the architecture of, of a particular church. We, have, we, of course, are very architecturally astute here. You can tell, right? <laughs> God, has, God has blessed us with an abandoned bowling alley, and it served us well since 1976. We're grateful. But despite the fact that church variety is, is uh, at an all-time high, and you can find a church that that offers all sorts of different programs and such that you might think would meet your needs. The reality, the sad reality, is that overall church attendance is not increasing. More and more people are leaving church. There's a, a couple great categories called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and the duns, D-O-N-E-S. People who don't claim any, any affiliation or any identity, they, they don't participate in a church. Those are the nuns. Don't mean, it doesn't mean that they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior, but they, quite frankly, uh, don't participate in a, in a community. The duns, those are people who, quite frankly, have, have, are done with the church. And sadly, when you talk to them, their perspective is, is very, very limited. They have a perspective, but it's, it's not a, a full, full complement perspective of what the church ought to be. So the average, the average length of stay at a church has decreased dramatically over the last couple of generations. If, if, you, if you grew up in a Christian family with a Christian heritage, uh, and you, you, if you still have grandparents or maybe even great-grandparents who are still alive, or you know somebody of their history, our grandparents and our great-grandparents, if they were Christians, 
they, they participated in one, maybe two at the most, churches for their entire life. They were committed to community. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed uh, to um, the body of Christ in that local congregation. But you contrast that with the results of recent studies today by the Barna Research Group and some of the others of church attenders. And the average length of stay uh, at, at a person's last church was only four years. So people are moving around. Now, now certainly people are moving geographically, but that, isn't, that doesn't mean that, that that's not the reason for all people moving churches. If a particular church is growing today, it's growing by what's called transfer growth, not conversion growth. We're praying in our church that God would bring revival, right? In our community, God would just pour out his spirit in revival. We're praying that God would thrust more and more workers into the harvest field. We want to see conversion growth, not transfer growth. We don't want to take sheep from other churches. We want to, we want to see brand new people come and get saved. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing. And if that's really true, then why do so many Christians keep looking for it? It's just a very simple statement. Why do so many keep moving from church to church, hoping to find the one that will perfectly meet their needs today and maybe even in the future? With freedom of choice, think about this. With freedom of choice has come dissatisfaction, not peace. Just walk down any one of our supermarket aisles. And you're, 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 we take it for granted, but you, you bring someone down that supermarket aisle who's brand new to our country and has never experienced the abundance that we have and the, and the choice, it's mind-blowing. They, they, they don't know what to do with that. Do I get chocolate Cheerios? Do I get Fruit Loop Cheerios? Do I get, which Cheerio brand do I choose? I think you understand what I'm talking about. So my message to you tonight is about the dissatisfaction the dissatisfaction, both legitimate and misdirected, that many Christians feel toward the local church. You see, it's, more, it's about more than just church shopping and church hopping. It's about the true meaning and the true purpose of church and how we fit into it. So for some, this, this is going to require what you call a paradigm shift. You have to begin to think differently about how you view church. It's not just something that's going to meet our needs. It's not about finding that perfect place to meet our needs perfectly. It's also about becoming a contributing part of the local church and learning to do life together, learning to grow together. Notice I use the word learning. That, that's something that, that is so critical learning to grow together. Do husbands and wives learn to grow together? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That great deal that you thought you got after you married got turned into an ordeal, right? Then pretty soon you want a new deal. No, 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 no. You learn to grow together. I, I just, I, I tell these young couples who are so enamored and so excited to get married, and that's very natural. I tell them, I said, look, you're going to go through some real serious adjustments 
And I can't tell you how long that adjustment period is going to be, but you're going to go through them. Everybody goes through them. When you put two sinners together, you're going to have to make some adjustments. You learn to grow together. You learn to extend grace to one another. You learn to forgive one another. You learn to bless one another. I had a couple in my office not too long ago. I said to them, I said, why, why do you want to get married? And they gave me all the stock reasons. Well, we love each other, and we want to be, and we want to spend our life together. And, and I said, oh, that is so wonderful. That is so beautiful. I said to them, I said, are you ready to serve one another? Are you ready to serve one another? Huh? <laughs> Years ago, uh, John, John Kennedy um, quoted um, a Roman philosopher, Roman saying, on his first inaugural, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but rather ask what you can do for your country. Do you remember that? How many of you remember that? Some of you older folks. Okay, good. I, w I want to adopt that and say it this way. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. What am I here for? I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. How, how is your serve? That's something we ask ourselves, we should be asking ourselves, how, how's my serve? When you get into your mini church, your small group, or your Bible study, or you, you want to, part of, part of what we're talking about is how's, how's your serve? Are we growing? Ask not what the church can do for you, but rather what you can do for the church. If you ask randomly 10 Christians why they go to church, you'll hear the responses that are, that are all similar. And see if these responses don't strike a responsive chord in you. I go to church to be fed from the word. Is that a reasonable response? Sure. I want my children to learn about the Christian life and make Christian friends. Reasonable? Church is the only place I can meet other believers like myself. I need support and encouragement, and church provides that for me. For most of us, church is the place where we do learn about God's will for our lives. It is the place where we meet other Christians, and it is the place where we can find real answers to real needs and doubts that affect our lives. But our view of church is largely need-focused, it's largely need-focused. And how does that contemporary focus on the purpose of the church compare with the original intent of that first century church? When the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, you read about it in the book of Acts. You read all of Paul's letters to all those infant churches in the first century. And all those letters in the, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2 especially, speaks clearly about a church community that did provide for very real practical needs of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 uh, talks about giftings and how people were gifted. 
But that, that, that whole idea of giftedness is summed up in this statement in chapter 14, verse 26, 1 Corinthians. He said, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church, for the building up of the church. It's the very same thing that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that I read to you at the outset of our time. Same idea, different words. A careful look at, a careful evaluation of the first century church also reveals an aspect of its purpose that is often overlooked or often forgotten by need-focused Christians. And it's all summed up with just two words. Two words. Can you think of what those two words might be? Anybody want to hazard a guess? We, we, we studied a number of them last week. First word is one. No. Second word is another. All right, say it with me. One another. One another. It's about mutual edification. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 1 of his letter to the Roman church, he says uh, that we might be mutually edified. That I could bless you and you could bless me. It's about mutual mutual edification. the, The mutual building up of each other. That's the purpose of the church. But it's not the purpose of the church in a self-serving way. In other words, there's, we, we're, we're, to, we're to take the initiative to see how we can serve one another, how we can build each other up, how we can encourage that, and how we can encourage one another, but not with strings attached. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we do things with our strings attached, don't we? We expect something in return. And I'm going to suggest to you that you don't have to expect anything in return. God will provide. Do we believe that? Sure. We come together to build up one another, not just to be built up ourselves. Church exists to meet needs, but not only just a need-focused emphasis, but as we participate and contribute, every member exercises their gifts to benefit one another. Yes, church is need-focused, but also others-centered. It's others-centered. It's got to be. So let me ask you a question. What can I honestly expect from church? What can I honestly expect from church? Why do I come? Why do I come? Why should I come? What do you think? I should come. Not only that, I would certainly get some needs, needs addressed and needs met. But I should come, what, to bring, bring some gifts, bring some encouragement, bring some strengthening. We have a greeting time, uh, traditionally, at all of our services. And, and, and I, I believe that there's encouragement at those times. And we bring each other a, a kind word, an encouragement. I saw some people praying together earlier. Now, as we... As we is we think, I'm, gonna, I'm coming, I want to bring a gift to somebody. God, you, you have something. You've equipped me. you prepared me. And when I go, when I participate, whether it's in big church or small church, mini church, 
I, I, I want to be able to be a blessing to somebody. And I'm not going to worry about whether I get blessed or not because I know that you're faithful that if I give, you'll, give it, you'll, you'll, you'll bless me. That frees me up, doesn't it? I don't need to worry. Well, is somebody going to help me? Somebody pay my attention to me? Well, I don't, I don't have any friends. Go be a friend to somebody. Go meet somebody. Get outside of yourself. Give some kindness to somebody. And God will see to it that you are blessed in return. In the properly functioning church, can I expect my personal needs to be fully met? Fully met. Emphasis on the word fully. No, not as long as you and I are imperfect people. No way. Whoever said, originally said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll probably ruin it. <laughs> they knew firsthand where the primary fault lay. And that primary fault lay in what? Our, our imperfectness, our fallenness still. There can never be a perfect church as long as there are only imperfect people to make up its parts. This is where, this is where we're, we're to be kind to each other, patient with one another, gracious with one another, because we know that we're all imperfect. The Apostle Paul, who is the chief church planter in the New Testament, never planted a church that met everyone's needs. Think about that. In his letters to imperfect churches, Paul knew that it would be infinitely frustrating to promise believers they could somehow find or produce the perfect church body. We're always tweaking, always trying to make it better, always striving for excellence, but knowing it's never going to be perfect. What he did say to believers seeking meaningful community, however, was more realistic than sometimes what we think and what we expect when we come to church. Let me just read to you a couple of the things he wrote. To the Corinthians, he said, agree with one another so there may be no divisions among you. Is it, is it better in his mind that we agree with each other or we have divisions? And to agree, you've got to what? You've got to humble yourself a little bit. You've got to decide what are the core issues and what are the peripheral issues? Where am I going to fight and die? Again, in Corinthians, he says, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Are we seeking the good of many? In Ephesians chapter 4 again, he says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And sometimes you really do have to bear with people, don't you? And not roll your eyes. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What's important there to him? That we be together, right? That we be together. In Philippians chapter 2, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. If we're not willing to humble ourselves, we'll never consider other people better than ourselves. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Colossians chapter 3, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive. You know, these qualities were, were exemplified in the early church to a great degree. 
where the, where the Roman world looked on those Christians and said, wow, look at those people. They are different. And God was adding great numbers of people to the church in, those, in that first century. Because why? These people took, took, took these words seriously. It wasn't a, a, a need-oriented church. It was a service-oriented church. We must learn how to get along. We do focus on the needs of others. We seek unity, not division. We love imperfect people. We learn how to do this. But the question also comes up, are there, are there still valid reasons to leave one church for another? And are there poor reasons to leave one church for another? Again, let me point out some of these things. Here's some good reasons to look for another church. The teaching is not helpful. Your children have no friends there. There's no singles program for you. Their church does not emphasize evangelism. Members are not friendly. There's doctrinal error being taught. Now on the surface, those would be good reasons to leave a church. Well, what are some poor reasons to leave a church? The teaching is not helping you. Your children have no friends there. There's no singles program for you. The church does not emphasize evangelism. Members are not friendly. There's doctrinal error being taught. Both lists are the same. Think about that. Is that reasonable? When you think through it, it is. The question is, how can the same statement be for one person a good reason to leave and look for another church, while for another person it's a poor reason? Doctrinal error. Doctrinal error is an automatic red flag. Would you agree? I mean, you guys, you guys know the Bible, don't you? I... I'm constantly hearing this refrain from people who move away uh, and they, 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 they can't find a good church where they're out and they say, send us a Hope Chapel, send us a, a pastor. We didn't realize what we had when we were there. We didn't know really how well we know the Bible and we're sitting in this church and we really know the Bible. I hear that constantly via telephone calls. People come back to visit, they send letters. We are a well-schooled church. We're a very, very good equipping environment. I mean, we just, class after class after class, we try to provide the best teaching we can provide for you so that you get to know the Word of God. But in the same vein, where you hear doctrinal error, is that necessarily a reason to exit the church? I'm going to say no, it's not. It's not. A lot of people will throw their hands up. A lot of people say, oh, I'm out of here. That's, 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 that's heresy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. For most believers, false teaching, I think we'll all agree, is not to be trifled with, is it? No. We need to be very, very care- careful, very cautious of those who twist the word of God to serve their own purposes. Paul, or I should say Luke, in the book of Acts, talks about the Bereans. 
in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And, and they, they searched the scriptures daily to see what the apostle Paul was teaching, if that was true and accurate. Can you imagine checking on Paul? And some of you fact check me as I'm going. You, you have your little devices and you're going, hmm, <laughs> that's good. You want to be able to do that. But scripture also says that those who teach error should be what? Warned and rebuked. They should be corrected and even disciplined if necessary. And if we heed those commands, someone has to stay and do it. You can't just abandon it. Say, well, I'm out of here. No, someone has to stay and address the problem. Someone has to say, hey, we need something here. The point I hope is obvious. The presence of a deficiency, the presence of a problem in a local church is not, in and of itself, reason to leave. Every church has problems. I read a book years ago, and it just helped me so much. The title of the book was The Myth, M-Y-T-H, of the Greener Grass. You know what I'm talking about, right? There in a single one of us hadn't been tempted to look over the fence and think, Wow, in some way, some fashion, some manner, the grass looks greener over there than on my side of the fence. You still have to mow it. It's still going to get brown. (laughs) Blossom where you're planted. Grow up where you're planted. You have to believe God has brought me here. He's brought me here for a reason. I'm forever telling people, this is where you want to grow up. This is where you want to mature. I spent over half my life here. That blows my mind when I think about it. My wife and I, we got married here. We've we've invested our life here. We've raised our son here. And so many others. It's just, it's awesome to me. Absolutely awesome. So the people will come and say, you know, we, we don't have this or we don't have that. That's code, you know. That's code for pastor. You need to do this, you need to do that. And I said, the reason we don't have that because you haven't started it. God gave you the vision. He's pointed that out to you. I'll help you get started. And we expand the ministry. What? To meet needs, to help people, to be a blessing. It gives everyone an opportunity to participate. The real issue is this. Does the problem prohibit my ability to be part of a mutually self-edifying community or does it really leave little or nothing else? In other words, this problem that I'm identifying that I want to leave over, is it a core issue or is it a peripheral issue? Is it something I can deal with and something we can work out and talk about or is it a non-negotiable? You have to decide that. You have to decide that. Is the church's deficiency critical to my spiritual growth? Is it critical to the growth of others? Or is it simply incidental? You see, when you know the true purpose of the church, when you know the true purpose of the church, we should seek wisdom, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and wise counsel from mature other believers in order to know if our reasons for wanting to leave are valid or if they're trivial. Just because my needs are not being met at the moment doesn't mean it's time to move on. 
It's that simple. Maybe it's time for me to get busy starting to meet some other needs. Maybe God's calling me to serve some people. Maybe God's calling me to step up and be involved. Maybe I've been on the sidelines too long. These are real issues that, that confront every church, every, every congregation, every church body. Church isn't just about finding the perfect place to meet my needs. It's, all about, it's also about becoming a contributing member. And it's learning to grow together. We talked about that last time. We talked about learning what it means to do life together. What a, what a beautiful picture. Christians learning to do life together. Christians learning to work with each other. Christians having a vision for what God wants to do in this world and how he wants to act through and work through a local church. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We catch that vision and we're all, we all commit ourselves to that proposition. Sometimes changing churches is not the best way to help other people grow. Not the best way to help myself grow or ourselves. Again, using my favorite example, is kind of like marriage. You get married, you're stuck. You might as well grow, huh? You might as well grow. It's like having kids. Man. Kids force you to grow, don't they? You can't just sit back and do nothing. You, you got to be with them. You got to figure them out. I talked to one couple one time, and they had, they had a whole bunch of kids. And I asked the husband, I said, hey, nobody you know is from outside. And uh, I said, how come he had so many kids? He said, we don't know. We, we, we just knew we wanted them. We weren't sure what we were going to do with them. We just wanted them. I thought, what a beautiful, what a beautiful answer. And he said, he said, God has taught me more through my kids than I ever thought I could teach my kids. And he said, God has said to me, he says, he says God has taught me how I break his heart when his kids break my heart. I went, wow. What, a, what an object lesson. It's all about growing. It's all about maturing. Our, our, our times together are essential. They're, they're, they're important for, for us all to be pulling together, if you will. Common vision. Common vision. We all support each other, encourage one another. Say, come on, come on, don't lag behind, don't lag behind. How are you doing? I'm doing great, I'm doing great. That's what we want to hear, huh? Truthfully. And when you're not doing great, we want to hear about it, all of us. So we can come to your aid and encourage you, pray for you, pray with you. That the body might be built up. No perfect church, no perfect many church. Made up of imperfect people, that's us. But as we commit ourselves to those propositions of growing and maturing, we do so in those environments. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I do not want to hear, away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. 
A lot of people are going to hear that. That's what Jesus said. A lot of people are going to hear that. Why? Because they just fancied themselves Christians. They come to Jesus and they justify themselves to him. Oh, I did this, I did that. He said, no, I never knew you. We know him by getting to know each other. We serve him by serving one another, don't we? We give a cup of cold water in his name. We visit in his name. We bless people in his name. You sign up to be a Christian. It's more than a fire escape. It's a whole brand new life. But it's a life well, well worthy of living to the fullest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for the church as imperfect as it is. We know and agree that it's still the best thing going. We continue to pray, Father, for our church, particularly that you would pour out your spirit and, Lord, that more and more of us would see the value of participating actively, contributing in in just varieties of ways. You've gifted us in just innumerable ways. And that we bring these gifts and these abilities and talents and skills to serve your kingdom, not just to build up our own personal kingdoms. Lord, help us open our eyes, turn our hearts more fully towards you. In those areas, Lord, where we need to repent, grant us repentance. Again, we can't do nothing without you. We can't forgive without you. We can't love without you. Everything, Lord, you are the, you're the vine and we're the branches. And apart from you, we can't do nothing. You've already told us that. So, Lord, we look to you. Have your way in our life, each one.